Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. It's a huge, huge welcome to you. Happy Father's Day again to all the dads. I honor you. Um, you're amazing. Our society does a horrible job of saying how awesome you are. So we just want to say we love you and appreciate you. Thank you so much for being dads. Um, you, are, you are absolute legends. And if you're joining us for the first time here, it's great to have you. If you are a dad who's been dragged along here and you're not normally a church guy, thank you so much to try to be as quick as possible. I once heard it said before, try and, when you public speak, try and be like a mini skirt. Short enough to be interesting, but long enough to cover the subject matter. So... That's what I'm going to try to be today. Um, dad joke. Yes! Uh, if you're joining us online, it's so good to have you as well. Obviously, our, our church family in Canberra. Super cool. So next week, we begin uh, guilt-free. And uh, last week, we finished a series called Undivided. And man, can I just say, this was, uh, I think, super timely for us. And if you uh, miss any of our past series in, in, the, in the age we're living in, the time we're living in, where there seems to be so much division, we think the Jesus way provides so many practical solutions of what to do in the middle of it. And so last week, as we finished it, we looked at the, the prayer of a king named Solomon. Uh, Solomon lived about a, a thousand years before Jesus and uh, recognizing the complexity of the world he was in and that people are complex. And you understand that, right? People are complex. You can't just give e- easy answers out all the time. He prayed a prayer for wisdom, uh, how to navigate the world that is. And so what I want to do today, this isn't, today isn't part of any series. It's, it's just for Father's Day. So I'm glad you're joining us. I want to pick up the story of Solomon from last week, where in the middle of a world that was complex and, and uh, you know, you got competing ideas and values, much like the world we're in now. And he was trying to navigate that. I want to pick up his story. About 20 years later, he'd established his authority as king of Israel, the ancient nation of Israel. And uh, Solomon was known as, as, as one of the most remarkable historical kings uh, anywhere in the world. He was generally regarded as one of the, the richest that ever lived, certainly one of the wisest who ever lived, at least for a portion of his life. And he started um, building incredible uh, palaces and temples. And so because of that, he needed to find a lot of resources from neighboring nations. So if nations had certain stones, he needed to, to, to take from them or, or wood or, uh, or gold or precious precious jewels, he would kind of, uh, he would buy them from other nations. And we pick up one story here where he had that kind of business uh, partnership with uh, the nation just to the north of Israel. And here's where we pick up the story in the Old Testament book of First Kings. It says, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee. Galilee is to the very north of Israel. He gave them to Hiram, king of Tyre, and that was just over the northern border, the nation of Tyre. Because Hiram had supplied Solomon with all the cedar and juniper and gold that he wanted. So essentially, uh, in payment for all the gold, he's like, here, you can have all these towns. But Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns. It's like the building and pest inspection, right? He went to see the towns that Solomon had given him, and he was not pleased with them. Okay, so he's like, what have you, have you ever had that before? Someone giving you a gift? And you finally get to unwrap it, and you're like, this is what you gave me? And many dads have experienced that this morning. Put on the smile and say, thanks very much, all right? Yes, jocks again. Okay, he was not pleased with them. And it goes on. He says to Solomon, what kind of towns are these that you have given me, my brother? And he called them, he called them the land of Kabul, and that is a name that they, they have to this day. I guess looking at this story, here's you know, you imagine you get offered 20 towns just over your border in the neighboring nation. You get offered 20 towns for all the gold you've given. He's like stoked, checks out the land. He's like, what is this rubbish towns that you have given me? And my question I want to ask you today, this Father's Day, 
Have you ever felt like you have been dealt a bad hand? If you ever played cards before, you'll understand the analogy, right? Like, you can't always decide what cards you get dealt, and hopefully it's a good one because you want to play a game of cards, and you're like, this rubbish hand, ah, oh, you, you kind of got to play with the hand you've been dealt. Now, as much as you understand that, maybe, in, uh, I guess, as an analogy, how true is that in life? Maybe there's things that you felt like you have been handed in life, you didn't ask for, that were given to you, and you felt like you've been kind of handed something that, well, you're certainly not pleased with. And, you know, where Chloe and I just had our second baby four weeks ago, and the whole naming process is wrought with danger, okay? Parents, you understand what I'm talking about, right? So, man, we were terrible. What do we name? We couldn't, we couldn't decide. We couldn't agree. And uh, the birth is coming closer and closer. We don't know what to do because we realize you name this kid, and they are stuck with that name. Anyone here by show of hands feel like they've been dealt a bad hand with the name you got named? Wow, okay, everyone's happy with it. Good on you. All right, any kids here with your parents in the room? Okay, I personally, in my life, feel like I got dealt a bad hand when it came to my name. Now, I know a lot of you know this story, so just bear with me for 30 seconds while I tell everyone else who's watching this. So my name, my name, my name is Jonathan. It actually wasn't the name I was born with. Jonathan was my middle name. I had a, 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 another name originally. Now, you have to understand the background of the story I'm going to say. I come from a, a Sicilian family, an Italian heritage. And so the naming in Italian households, and if you're from an Italian culture, you'd understand this, right? There are layers to naming in the Italian household. You've got to name after someone, you know, some ancestor from way back. So, so my eldest brother, who we call Ashley, his actual name is Salvatore, after uh, our father's father, Nuno, his name was Salvatore. My sister, Sarah, she was named after our Nona, Serena. And then my brother, David, his middle name is Charles after my dad and Frank after our other Italian grandfather on my mother's side. And then my little brother, Cameron, his middle name is also Charles after my father. Then there came me, and I'm waiting. What are they going to name this little guy? I'm thinking Luigi, Mario, something super Italian. I could not wait to see what they name me. This is the name they came up with, Dwayne. Yep. And if you're a Dwayne here, I feel your pain. Okay. There's nothing Italian about it. Now, you think that's bad. They confirmed the wrong choice several weeks into my birth going, yeah, we made a mess of that one. Let's, now, you think they just get rid of the name completely. You know, they went through the trouble of taking my middle name and making it my first name. But as a forever tattoo on my soul, they decided to just swap the names. So now my middle name is Dwayne as a forever reminder of the mistakes my parent made when I was born. As you can see, I don't have any issues. So dealt a bad hand. As much as I'm making, a bit of, making that a bit trivial, the truth is there can be some serious areas of our life where we might feel like, we got dealt a bad hand. Perhaps for some of you, maybe you feel even physically, you were born with something that you have struggled with your whole life, something, a physical ailment. And maybe you feel like it's unfair, and indeed it might be. Perhaps in Father's Day can bring this up in many regards because there's one thing I'm sure of. None of us chose our parents. You were born, you get what you're given. And, and without making it light of it, for some of us, that, that's a painful realization for you because you maybe didn't have the best experience with your parents. And a day like today, like Father's Day, while we see a whole lot of celebration here and we celebrate the next generation and, and all the joys that come with it, for you it might indeed have a lot of pain associated with that. 
When you look at a father or a parent or a parental figure in your life, maybe you felt like you got dealt a bad hand. Or perhaps at becoming a parent, maybe, maybe you've struggled with a child who has been maybe high needs for you and your plans for your life, and this is a real thing for many parents here, maybe the plans and hopes you had for your future might have had to change. You've been put on pause for a while because of the way you've had to step in and love a child through some of their difficulties. And perhaps you've had moments, if you're honest, where you have felt like you've been dealt a bad hand. And we can often look at it, and, and I don't mean this for anyone to feel guilty. I mean it because it's reality. We can often look at what we have in life and feel like, why did I end up with this? I didn't deserve this. I deserve so much better. Or what did I do to deserve this? Have you ever felt like you've been dealt a poor hand? And we see this story here. If we go to the next slide, when Hiram saw these towns that he got given, it says that he was not he was not pleased with them. He was not pleased with these towns. And this is interesting to me because I wonder, I wonder how many things we have devalued in our lives, maybe people, maybe relationships, maybe opportunities that we've devalued in our life because we've only looked like Hiram through the lens of pleasure. It said that he was not pleased with these towns. And if we look at what we're handed in life, what we're given in life, and we only look through the lens, like Hiram, of pleasure, whether we're pleased or not, I think sometimes that is a very limiting lens in which to view the opportunities and the relationships we have in our life. There are a whole lot of other lenses we can look through in life other than just the lens of pleasure. Am I right? Am I right? Let me explain it, okay? For example, we often, you know, rather than just asking, did this please you or did this make you happy? There's other questions. Is this something hopeful or is it strengthening? Is it helpful? Is it educational? Is it inspiring? Is it meaningful? And for Hiram, like us perhaps, maybe we've drawn too many conclusions about the lot that we have in life, whether through relationship or circumstance, by looking at it through only the lens of pleasure or happiness. And because something might not bring us pure pleasure or make us happy, whatever that means, Somehow we can discredit, devalue, and completely underrate something that maybe has incredible potential in our life. I read recently a book, and many of you might have read this, a remarkable story from Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. And he is a psychologist. He is a survivor of several uh, concentration camps during World War II. He was an Austrian Jew. And he wrote this amazing book one year after the liberation of all the, uh, the Holocaust survivors. He obviously survived. And in his book, he goes to great detail from his own experience about how do you, when, essentially when you're dealt a bad hand, how do you respond to that? Ultimately, how do you find meaning in it? And he pointed out an incredible pattern that would often have happened with his fellow inmates in, in the prison camps that would happen. And he said, when someone had given up on life, when they were no longer getting up in the morning to, go to, to do their work, no matter if they were threatened by getting beaten or were warned, they would find themselves just laying on their, stray, their, their straw beds covered in, in urine and feces, and they wouldn't refuse to move and get up off it. At that moment, they said there was the same thing that always happened. A person would reach deep somewhere into their clothes where they had one cigarette that they'd somehow hidden in there, and they'd light it, and they'd lay in bed and smoke their cigarette. And that would usually be a sign that within the next 48 hours, this person was ultimately going to die. Because when a person has lost meaning, 
and can no longer, even through the difficult seasons where we need to know meaning the most, he said, the thing that people reach for when there's no meaning to reach for is they meet, they reach for instant pleasure because instant pleasure is all they have left. And he's challenged to us as, as, as people, do we do that in life? When we lose meaning in something, all we then have to reach for is pleasure. And I wonder if some of us have lost seeing meaning in some of the relationships that your Heavenly Father has brought into your life or opportunities you have where you're only looking through the lens like Hiram of pleasure. And if things just don't please you, you devalue them. Because too often we don't look for meaning in things, we just go to pleasure. Now, this is some of the things he wrote. I just want to read it to you. I want you to listen in because this is super good stuff and I didn't write it so you can trust it, okay? He said this in his book. He says, mental health, mental health is based on a certain degree of tension, tension. The tension between what one has already achieved and what one still ought to accomplish or the gap between where one is and what one could become. He goes on and says, it is a dangerous misconception of mental hygiene. I love that term, mental hygiene. It's a dangerous misconception of mental hygiene to assume that what a man needs in the first place is equilibrium, or as it is called in biology, homostasis. That is a tensionless state. He's saying that is a fabrication, that in order for you to be mentally hygienic or mentally healthy, you somehow need no tension in your life, no stress in your life, only pleasure, only happiness. He said that is a fallacy. He said, what man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. Our current mental hygiene philosophy, and keep in mind, he wrote this decades ago, but this I still think holds true for us today in this current Corona 2020 world we live in. Our current mental hygiene philosophy stresses the idea that people ought to be happy and that unhappiness is a symptom of maladjustment as if that something is wrong if you're not happy all the time. He concludes by saying such a value system might be responsible for the fact that the burden of unavoidable unhappiness is increased by unhappiness about being unhappy. Did you catch that? Ultimately, he brings the, from a psychological perspective alone, this sharp criticism that this goal that we're supposed to just be perpetually happy all the time and find pleasure in everything all the time, and if we don't, then something is off or something is wrong. But here's my question I want to bring to us this Father's Day. I wonder if we miss the potential in something, but only looking through the lens of pleasure. I wonder if for those of you who are newlyweds here, I wonder if you view your spouse as simply someone that's just supposed to bring you pleasure and that's it. If they don't all the time, then there's something wrong with your marriage. I wonder if you're looking through such a narrow lens and you're just looking through the lens of pleasure Take your job, take relationships you have, take an environment you're in, even take the season we're all journeying in right now, where if we just lose pleasure, does that mean we've lost everything or only something? And for Hiram, he completely wrote off this area of land in Galilee simply because it didn't please him. And I wonder for you and I, what we have undervalued or underappreciated or perhaps underutilized and completely missed the potential of because we were just looking through the lens of pleasure and happiness. when perhaps there's so much more than that. And so Hiram wasn't pleased with these towns. And the next slide, as we read it, if you recall what it said, he goes, and he named them, or he called them the land of Kabul. Now the literal uh, translation of land of Kabul means the land good for nothing. 
And so clearly here was this land that he was not impressed with. It's a region that no one wanted. Clearly Solomon's like, here's the dodgy, what can I pay him for all this gold he's given me? I know, I know. I'll give him the land around Galilee because it's rubbish. Here, here, here's the land for the gold. And he's like, what is this you give me? It is land good for nothing. No one wanted it. Solomon didn't value it. Hiram hated it. Later in history, the Jewish elite, at least in Jesus, they snubbed it. Clearly, Hiram felt like he was dealt a bad hand. <laughs> and the thing is, he let his disapproval known. So he named it. I thereby named this land good for nothing. And the name stuck. And my challenge, or my thought is today, I wonder, have we labeled things in our lives by our disappointment rather than by their potential? Have you labeled something in your life? You've called it something good for nothing, or whatever you might have labeled it, because you've been disappointed in it rather than by calling it by its potential. I don't need to labor on this point, but I think we need, to, we need to think about it. Can we just leave that slide up just for a second? I want us to think of this for a moment. Because if you take even the most precious thing that our Heavenly Father has brought into our life, our relationships, how often, because we've been disappointed, have we labeled a relationship by our disappointment? And we've called a spouse by a name that we can't take back. We've said something over our children, maybe over our parents, or even beyond just our intimate relationships, perhaps even our environments. We've labeled our careers. We've labeled the past 20 years of our life. You've labeled the situation you're finding. And you've labeled it by your disappointment rather than by its potential. And like here, and we simply looked, this doesn't please me. It is good for nothing. And so we call things by our disapproval. And what is remarkable in this story is the land that Hiram called good for nothing and the land that Solomon clearly didn't value at all. He just wanted to kind of give it off to someone as like a, you know, to give someone the bad deal. It is a land that we're about to see is exactly the land that our heavenly father smiled upon. In fact, it was this region, the region of Galilee, allegedly good for nothing, where we see God in a body in the person of Jesus do the majority of his miracles, preached the majority of his sermon, and in fact was the home and the base for his entire ministry. It might have been the region where man neglected, but it seemed to be the region where God shined his light upon. I wonder if we can learn something over the next few minutes about from Jesus in areas in our life that maybe we've been quick to label as simply something that doesn't bring us pleasure, therefore it's good for nothing. I wonder if we can begin to look at it, not through just the lens of our displeasure or disapproval, but begin to look at things through its potential. And if you've given up on a relationship, if you've given up on an opportunity, if you've given up on a dream because you've been displeased by something, I would encourage you this morning, let's get our cues from Jesus. I'm about to see what He does here. And maybe learn to see something or someone and said by our displeasure rather by their potential. And so Jesus, as we know, grew up in Nazareth. So he was a carpenter. And at, at the age of 30, he began his ministry as a rabbi. And where all good rabbis would have been based in the kind of epicenter of Jewish religious life, down the south in Jerusalem, Jesus went the opposite. He went to the farthest northern end of Israel, to a land good for nothing. And here's where we pick up Jesus' story when he began his ministry. This is in the book of Matthew. It says, Leaving Nazareth, where he was brought up, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is a town around Galilee, which is by the lake in the area of Nebulum and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now, this is important because 600 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah 
prophesied over a land that everyone was like, this land's good for nothing. And he said, this is exactly where the Messiah, where the Son of God is going to come. And this is what Isaiah prophesied. Said the land of Nebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The Jordan was a geographical location where a river is. Galilee of the Gentiles. The reason it was called Galilee of the Gentiles is remember Solomon gave the land to Hiram of Tyre. They were not Jews, they were Gentiles. And so they began to settle in the land. And then many decades later, the Assyrians eventually invaded northern Israel, cut it off from the south, and they all settled around the region of Galilee. So at the time of not only Isaiah prophesying this, but when Matthew was writing at the time of Jesus, the region was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Yeah, there were Jews there, but it was heavily populated by non-Jews. So it says in this region, Galilee of the Gentiles, land good for nothing. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so in this land of darkness, in the shadow of death, at what Hiram called a land good for nothing, a place rejected by Solomon and Hiram, ended up being the very place that was accepted by Christ. The place neglected by man was embraced by God. A place called good for nothing was the very first place that had the good news preached to it. And my point is this, what we tend to too easily give up on, God can have grace for. What we can give up on, God can have grace for. And maybe there's something in your life that you have, can we go to the next slide? Something in your life that you've given up on that you've called, that you've labeled, that you've said there's no potential here, there's no future here, I'm displeased, I'm disappointed, something that we've given up on, God can have a whole lot of grace for. And to just pull an easy illustration, okay, what's happening right now? None of us know what's going on. We don't know how long this is going to go for and any attempt to predict it, we're just clutching at control. We don't know, right? We can only stipulate what's happening in our world right now with COVID-19 and everything that's happening. Here's the thing. It'd be too easy for us to see maybe where there isn't some things that we used to find great pleasure in. Maybe things look different right now. But I wonder those things that we're too easy, can too easily give up on in this season. I wonder if your Heavenly Father wants you to be reminded that He has a truckload of grace for. Perhaps your dreams for a business or your future or a family, that you say, well, this has ruined all my plans. What if your Heavenly Father has grace for that? And instead of just looking at something, I want to challenge you. I want you to go home today and think about this. Is there something that the last six months have taught you to only view through disappointment and to label and say, well, this year is rubbish and all the opportunities gone and only this is going to happen. I wonder if your Heavenly Father wants you and I to look at the season we're in, not just through the lens. I wish I was holding a mirror to my face right now so I was talking to myself, saying, hey, let's just not look at this season through the lens of our displeasure but rather let's look at it through the lens of its potential because perhaps God has all the grace that we're looking for. I find it remarkable that it said this. It says, leaving Nazareth. As if to say Jesus intentionally left the place where he got brought up before he went to go to the land of Galilee. He had to leave the place he was brought up, where his career was, where his family was, where his safety was, where his security was. Jesus, this is important to get, Jesus left the world where he was familiar with, 
It would have been easy and comfortable. He left that place of relative ease and he went to a land labeled, excuse me, good for nothing in order to bring good news to it. And this is an incredible picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the world today. The message of the gospel, the message of God is that God left perfection in heaven. God left his place of authority on a throne, clothed himself in a human body. He left, as it were, Nazareth, and he came to the mess of our world to offer us grace, to offer us life, and a land and a life that others might have labeled good for nothing. Land of the Gentiles, a land in darkness, a land where there's no future and no hope, a place that I want to snub is exactly the place where our Savior intentionally went and ministered to, and for our lives as well. Maybe you've written off parts of your life as in darkness or without hope, or without potential. Well, in the same way that Jesus left Nazareth for Galilee, Jesus left His throne in heaven to enter into your mess and to your darkness to offer you and I incredible hope. Story said, we go to the next slide, recount what it said. It says, the people who are living in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has dawned. You know, it's interesting as a finish to take note of this because the core of the land of darkness, a land of darkness, and it's worth noting why the Jews labelled it this. They labelled it this because they'd abandoned it. God hadn't. They labelled it a land good for nothing, a land of the Gentiles. But God hadn't done anything to the land. They'd just turned their back on it. They'd neglected it. And any land of darkness, and however you could personally apply that to your life, land of darkness doesn't mean abandoned by God. It could often just mean abandoned by man or neglected by man. And it's worth noting, when, with all the evil and the hurt that we see in our world, and if you're someone who probably has your questions about God when you see pain and suffering and be like, is there a loving God or how can God allow this? Remember, God has entrusted us with stewarding this planet. And often when we see great pain and suffering, it doesn't mean a place of being neglected by God. It often means it's being neglected by us. And we failed, we failed our responsibilities. And that is not to condemn or to judge any of us, but it's to, particularly those of us that are Jesus followers to be reminded, let's get our cues from Jesus. Jesus didn't avoid the dark places on the planet. He went to them and He brought good news upon them. Light has dawned. And so wherever there's a place of darkness in your life, I wonder if that is a place begging for the light of God to shine in it. And rather than taking your cues from Hiram, who labelled it good for nothing, maybe we need to get our cues from Jesus, who shone light on it. Maybe there's darkness in your life. And I wanna put to you, maybe it's not because God has abandoned you, but maybe just because you've been calling it the wrong thing. And it's time to change your confession let the light of God shine in it. And I'm convinced that Jesus has light for the dark places of our life. If there's an area that you don't want to face, that is heartbroken, has brought displeasure, I want to encourage you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus is for you. When you choose to put your trust in Jesus and invite Him into the dark places of your life, it's like a light dawning on the 
region of the shadow of death. And he's finished with this story. Viktor Frankl, the book I was referring to before, he tells, to illustrate his point, he tells this story about a young man named Jerry Long, who at 17 years of age was in a tragic accident and became a paraplegic. And particularly in the, this was decades and decades ago where support and medicine and the way it is, you know, we've got a long way to go in those areas, but it certainly wasn't as back that it is now, where the stats and the odds would have been against him. And at 17 years of age, an accident that big, talk about being dealt a bad hand, right? It's amazing. He went on to write a book, this young man, Jerry Long, called The Defying Power of the Human Spirit, the Human Spirit. And it's remarkable. He learned to write using his mouth, putting a pencil in his mouth. He went to university. He became a psychologist himself, which is where his book came from. And he writes unapologetically that through what he went through, he wants to use it as a chance to encourage and inspire and to help other people. And he made this one quote that just, when I read, I went, that is amazing. This is in his book, The Defying Power of the Human Spirit. He said these words. He says, I broke my neck. It didn't break me. I broke my neck. It didn't break me. In other words, think about how he labeled the hand he was dealt. He completely relabeled it. He refused to look at it as just the loss of despair, sorry, the loss of hope and the embracing of despair and the loss of potential. He recognized his life still had great meaning. And here's the thing. This is a story of a young man who simply attributes his attitude to the human spirit, the human spirit. But as Jesus followers, you have the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. And if someone alone through their own pulling themselves up by their bootstraps can relabel a poor hand they're dealt. I wonder how much you, when you learn to see things as your heavenly Father see things and to see your life as your heavenly Father sees your life and to see your life with hope as Jesus sees your hope. I wonder what you can call the dark areas of your life. And as Jesus began His ministry in the region of the shadow of death and shined His light, this was His message He began with. He simply, in the very next verse, He said this, repent, meaning turn your thinking around. Turn around the way you view this. Turn around the way you talk. Turn around your conviction. Turn around how you think. Repent, do a 180. For the kingdom of heaven, keep in mind where He was talking to a region in the shadow of death. He said, turn around for the kingdom of heaven has come near to this place, the place rejected by man, the place in the shadow of death, the land good for nothing. God is near. He's close. Maybe there's areas in your life where you feel God is distant because it's dark. Perhaps God is closer than you think. And so I want us to learn today as we head home to take our cues from Jesus who poured His grace and His light into a land good for nothing. He saw it with great potential. I want us to let in God's light. Every time you call something by its potential, you let in God's light. Every time you choose hope rather than despair, you let in God's light. And every time you celebrate what is beautiful in your life, rather than just grieving what is broken, you let in God's light. Here's my point. We've got to learn to call it as God sees it. Call it as God sees it. Don't call the dark areas in your life simply by your displeasure or your unhappiness. Call it as your heavenly Father sees it. Your heavenly Father sees your life with so much potential, so much richness, so much future. 
so much hope and so much life. And my prayer for you somehow in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of Father's Day, in the middle of life's pains and complications, that we can begin to call things in our life that we've once labeled as good for nothing, begin to call it as God sees it. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, you're, I'm just, I'm aware that the people sitting here this morning, for those watching online, we all have areas in our life that we would say is dark and in pain, neglected, without hope, good for nothing. I'm praying today you'd help us see those things as you see it. I pray today that you would fill every single life here with the promised Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't just view things through the lens of our pleasure or displeasure, but rather show us how you see it. If there's a relationship we need to repent about and change our thinking or a situation or an opportunity, I pray today, God, for the courage and the hope in every life here to call it as you see it. Just with every head bowed here this morning, I want to invite us all to pray a prayer out loud. And that is invite, it's a simple prayer to invite God into our world, into our world, maybe into the dark parts of your life, maybe the parts of your life that you feel are neglected. And I want us to pray this prayer out loud. And it's simply that inviting God into our life. And perhaps some of you here today, you've never done that. I want to invite you to pray this prayer today with us from the bottom of your heart. Maybe you're watching online here today and you're someone that's never asked God to be in relationship with you. I want to ask us all to pray this prayer out loud together. Whether you've prayed this a hundred times or this is your first time, I want us to pray this from the bottom of our hearts. Can we all together say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, for saving my life, giving me light for the dark places in my life. I receive your hope and I receive your grace. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.